I just want to extend uh, just a thank you from myself and all of us to the to the student ministry for providing breakfast for us this morning. You guys rocked. That was so much fun just to have breakfast together in that room and meet some new people. Hopefully you had a chance to uh, meet someone you didn't know or at least get reacquainted with someone you don't talk to very often. Um, I certainly did. Uh, By the way, my name's Matt right there. See that? My name's Matt. And I think it's kind of cool we got name tags on. I really love that because then I don't, like when it escapes me, I just have to like, oh, I know who that is. So we should just wear these every week. But I'm going to take mine off now so I don't wear it out in public. Uh, yeah, so that was fun. That was fun having breakfast together like that. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you remember the first time that you ever saw or climbed a mountain? Do you remember when that happened for you in your life? For those of you who grew up locally, you know, maybe it was like Mount Pisgah. Or Mount Baldhead, you know, that was your first experience with a mountain, you know, of conquering a mountain, summiting a mountain, looking out over the the, the vast terrain from such a high peak. You know, maybe coming here is like a, like this is the highest spot in Holland Township. This is like Mount Victory right here. So like look out over the horizons and you could see forever. Um, you know, I, for me, I was trying to think about that. What was my first experience like with uh, what I thought was sort of like a mountain? And I think like my, my brother Dave's here this morning. Um, everybody say hi to Dave. And uh, remember the school in the hole? Like we called it the school in the hole. It was like the, the Christian elementary school up in our area in the day. And it was down in this hollow and it had this huge hill. I mean, I thought it was huge at the time. That's where everyone would go sledding. In the winters, we would go to the school in the hole, and it took forever to climb up this thing. But up at the top, you could like see forever. And to me, like that was like the first mountain when I was a little kid. You know, maybe, um, you know, it was the Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes. You know, remember like that, if you've ever been to the Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes and you're climbing that hill or maybe to Silver Lake, you know, climbing up those sand dunes, that's kind of like your first mountain experience. I remember dad would, would take us fishing on the Manistee River. Remember that? We'd go down below the Tippy Dam and we'd have to hike in in the dark and then we'd kind of come out on this felt to me like a ridge it was probably like perspective it probably wasn't but like you could see across this valley and see the river winding through it like all these little mountain you know experiences I had growing up but you know and then there's like if you ever drive to Florida you drive through Kentucky and Tennessee maybe into Georgia like feel like you're in the mountains but for me the very first time I ever experienced what I would call like a real mountain a real mountain experience was was really 25 years ago 25 years ago, it was 1993, I was 23 years old, a rookie youth pastor at Grace Reformed Church here in Holland, and we were taking our youth group out to Colorado for the Colorado Challenge. And uh, that, that's where our youth group is going this summer. And I'm super excited about that because uh, it's a special place. And I'm excited that our kids and, and the money that you generously donated this morning is helping support that trip this summer for our high school students to go out to Colorado. But I remember that was my, I'd never been to the, like the real mountains before. And so I was super excited. And I remember like, uh, you know, we, we drove the first day all day, got as far as Kearney, Nebraska, stayed overnight at a church in Kearney. And then the next morning you jump in the 15 passenger your vans and you, you Nebraska's boring you know like Iowa's boring Nebraska's boring you start turning down towards Denver and uh like on the horizon you know I started to see like white I thought they were like clouds like really low clouds on the horizon but then as you keep driving closer and closer they come into focus it's actually mountains 
mountains with snow on them, some of them. And, and it just started to like, I, I just, I can remember the first time seeing those and just sort of getting all excited, you know, like you know, you're driving, but you're trying to get someone to take a picture for, you know how you think you could take a picture and it'll look just like you see it. And then you look at it and like, there's nothing there. Like I can't see anything, but it was just super exciting. And, uh, you know, then we get down to Denver and then we head down to Colorado Springs and you're in the Pikes Peak vicinity and we drive up to camp and camp is like at 9,000 above sea level. And then there's this cool like uh, hike in camp up to Soldier's Mountain. Some of you have been up to Soldier's Mountain. There's a cross at the top of Soldier's Mountain. You could look out forever. Then on that trip, we drove up Pikes Peak. And Pikes Peak's like, what, 14,100 some feet, you know, elevation. I think that's probably the highest mountain that I've ever stood atop of. I mean, I've flown over mountains, but I think that's the highest mountain I've ever stood atop of. Like, anybody been on a higher mountain, you know, higher than 14,000? You guys have. All right, anybody else? Steve, anybody? It, it's, it's awesome to be up that high. And, uh, you know, there's just something majestic. There's something mysterious. There's something sort of spiritual about mountains and being especially on top of a mountain. This sense of awe, this, this sense of, of perspective, right? And, and maybe this sense of peace. And maybe that has something to do with you're literally above all the distractions of life. You just, you've risen above all the distractions of life and you have perspective. There's just something about the high places, right? The, the high places that just sort of lend themselves to feeling closer to God. It's almost like if you imagine God's up in heaven, like now I'm closer to him. But we know he's not just up in heaven, he, he's in here. But you feel closer to him somehow in this, in this special way. And, and there's a reason we use the phrase, right? Mountaintop experiences. There's something special about on being on top of a mountain that that, that experience is unlike any other. I, I we took our youth group out to the Colorado Challenge like year after year after year there for a while because like God just, he showed up in a special way, it seemed, on top of that mountain. And, and I've got all kinds of stories of, of these God encounters up on top of this mountain. Some of you guys have stories of sitting atop of Soldier's Mountain and just having these moments, you know, with the Lord. Like, there's just something special about mountains. And in the Bible, that's true as well. That's true in the scriptures. There, there's significant, special, sacred encounters that happen up on the mountains. When God delivered the Ten Commandments, you remember that story when he delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Horeb, or sometimes we refer to it as Mount Sinai? The mountain was sort of shrouded you know, in smoke and it shook violently and the people could hear thunder from down below. Or centuries later, remember when Elijah was up on that same mountain and like, you know, there's the earthquake and there's the fire and there's the, you know, all this stuff. And then in the little still whisper, God shows up and has an experience with Elijah. Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied that the the sacred mountain, Mount Zion, that someday it would be the site of a feast unlike any feast in the history of the world. And it's on that mountain that God will destroy death forever. Jesus and his disciples had many encounters and moments together on the Mount of Olives. There's just something about mountains. And today's story that I want to look at is a mountain story. So if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 9 or find it on your Bible app or however you like to follow along. Um, some of this will be on the screen as well. But it's a, it's a mountain story. 
Mark 9. And, and we're continuing our series, right? We're, we're in this series during Lent. It's called Following the King. This is our Lent series leading us up to Easter. And we're inviting everybody to read the Gospel of Mark together. And we're encouraging and inviting everybody to read. Like if you read just two chapters a week, we'll get through the whole Gospel of Mark by the time we get to Easter. And uh, we're following our king. Literally, that's what our goal is in this series. We're following our king through the gospel of Mark, asking questions like, what is our king like? What, what, what does our king have to say? How does our king do things? Because we really want to be like him and we really want to do the kinds of things he does. So that's what we're paying attention to as we journey through the gospel of Mark. And this week, we're in Mark chapter 9 and 10. In every Sunday when we get up here, we just are preaching out of the overflow of those two chapters. Oh, not 7 and 8. It's 9 and 10. Thanks, Pete. I forgot to change that slide. Mark 9 and 10 is where we're at. But um, every Sunday when we get up here, we're just preaching out of the overflow of what we've been reading. And there's so much we're not talking about, right? There's so much in the Gospel of Mark we're not talking about from up front. We're trusting you're reading it. We're trusting you're interacting with it and, and following the King on this journey towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. So with that in mind, let's pray, then we're going to dive in. Father, thank you that we could gather here today as family. We could gather here today as brothers and sisters. Um, Lord, we acknowledge you as our father. And uh, as a good, good father, uh, we know that that you have good things for us. And uh, we believe that this morning you have good things that you want to impress upon us, that you want to reveal to us, that you want to open our eyes to and invite us into. Lord, we are listening. We are listening. We believe in the power of this book. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe we have everything this book says we have. We believe like, um, that we can do the things that you say we can do, that we are who you say we are. And I pray that we get um, grounded in that this morning. Pray you, you, I humbly ask, Lord, that you would speak through me. But I, I, I humbly ask that you would speak even beyond me and that the Holy Spirit would speak directly to each one of us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let me ask you another question. You guys remember like uh, kind of strolling down memory lane here today. Do you remember the first time maybe you ever looked through a microscope? I don't know when that would be in science, but the first time you looked through a microscope and maybe they put like a little drop of blood on the slide and they put it under a microscope and it just looks like blood. And then you look under, you know, look at it through the microscope and there's like things swimming around and things are alive. Like, holy cow. Or, or, Or maybe the first time you looked through a telescope. Have you ever looked through like a really good telescope? Like, you know, so, so we look up in the night sky and we see the moon and it looks like it's about like that big. And then you look at it through a telescope and like it just comes to life and you see craters and you see like all kinds of detail, you know, in the moon. And, and suddenly, like from that, those moments forward, everything now has potential to be more than it seems. Things are not just like they look. There's more to it than what you see. And that's sort of like the, the heart of, of today's story. In Mark 9, verses 2 through 10, we're going to read that together. So here we go. So six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. In the other versions, it says they were going up there to pray. As the men watched, in other versions there too, it says that they fell asleep because they were really tired. 
They, they do that sometimes. Um, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and they began talking with Jesus. So Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it is wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he really didn't know what else to say, for they were all terrified. I mean, picture this, then a cloud. Then a cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus with them. And as they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. So by this point in Mark's gospel, the disciples are beginning, they're beginning to dare to believe that Jesus really might be the Messiah. He might be who we think he is. I mean, just before this, Peter had just declared it as they were walking along. Jesus said, who do people say I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah. You know, that's who I think you are. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Peter had just declared it. Although, truthfully, the disciples aren't really going to fully understand what Messiah means until the resurrection, until after the resurrection. But this moment, this moment on the mountain certainly helped. It certainly helped their understanding. The story of Jesus's transformation, or sometimes we call this the mount or the mountain of transfiguration. This moment we need to understand in Jesus's ministry is like this fulcrum. It's like this pivot point in Jesus's ministry. From this point forward, and you'll see this as you continue to read in the gospel of Mark, from this point forward, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. So at this pivot point, at this fulcrum point in Jesus's ministry, he goes up a mountain like he frequently did. He would go off on a mountainside or a hillside to pray. And he takes the leaders of the apostles with him. He takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain to pray. And at the top, you know, whether the disciples are sleeping at this moment, I don't know, but without warning, Jesus begins to glow. I mean, just imagine this. Imagine being there on top of this mountain Jesus begins to glow. And not just glow, he begins to shine really brightly. In other gospels, it says like his face sort of changes. And not just shine brightly, but his, his clothes are like dazzling white, so white that you could never ever bleach them to be any whiter than what they're, they're looking at right now. And Peter, James, and John, they react probably like you and I would react. They're terrified. They're quaking in fear. Then, if that's not enough, then they see like two people appear out of nowhere. Like all of a sudden Moses and Elijah, these two human symbols of the Old Testament, right? They're the personification of the law and the personification of the prophets. Kind of the two ways in which God has revealed himself up to this point. These guys show up. They show up there on top of this mountain and they're standing there right in front of them. I think it's kind of interesting, just this is a side note, but both those guys, right? 
Moses and Elijah, both those guys sort of disappeared at the end of their lives. They, they sort of disappeared, like they, they didn't die in front of other people or witnesses. They were sort of taken away or sort of disappeared. I just think that's kind of interesting. And, and, but, but here, all of a sudden, they show up on top of this mountain. And if that's not already overwhelming, then this cloud appears. This cloud sort of, sort of shows up and shrouds the mountain. And, it, and it's like the, the, the weight of revelation of Jesus as the Messiah on this mountain just continues to build. And you're on top of this mountain, right, where God typically meets people, you know, throughout the history of the Israelites. And then, and then if that's not enough, you're on top of this mountain, Jesus starts glowing. And if that's not enough, then Moses and Elijah show up. And if that's not enough, now this cloud sort of envelops them. And this cloud, you know, for, for Israelites, this cloud was... It's a weighty thing. It's a heavy thing. That the cloud was a symbol of the Shekinah glory of God. It's an indicator of, of God's divine presence in that place. I mean, you remember when the Israelites were wandering the wilderness. You know, as they wandered the wilderness, there would be this, this pillar of cloud or this pillar of fire that would kind of hover, you know, over them. And, and over when they'd set up the tabernacle, sort of over the tabernacle, it was, a, it was an indicator, a physical, tangible indicator that God was present, that he was dwelling in this moment, in this place. It, it was that kind of cloud. That kind of cloud enveloped them on this mountain. And James and Peter and John had to be wondering, what's God doing? Is, is he establishing like a, a new throne here on earth? Like what is going on? And the truth is, he, he is. God was doing that and he has done that. But where before the presence of God was represented, you know, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, in a place, now the presence of God is represented in a person. In the person of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus is, the presence of God is. But then there's even more. It just keeps going. Like, if the cloud's not enough, now this voice, this voice speaks from the cloud. And they hear these words. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. I mean, does some of that sound like familiar language? I mean, don't those words sound a little bit familiar? We, we've heard words like this before, haven't we, as we've read the Gospel of Mark. Jesus' baptism. Those sound a lot like the words that God used at Jesus' baptism. And they are. They're very similar, but they're also different. At Jesus' baptism, you have the Father speaking directly to the Son. The Father speaking directly to Jesus. As Jesus begins his public ministry, the Father is reminding the Son who he is. You are my Son, whom I love. I'm really pleased with you. Those were the words that came, you know, from the sky at Jesus' baptism. The Father wanted Jesus to know who he was. But now here, on the mountain of transfiguration... As Jesus is preparing now to set his face towards Jerusalem and towards the cross, the Father wants everyone else to know who Jesus is. He wants everyone else to know who the Son is. These words from the cloud, they're not spoken to Jesus. They're spoken to Peter and James and John, Moses and Elijah. God saying, this is my Son. This is my beloved Son, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. 
listen to him. That's really good advice. That's God the Father laying down some really good advice to command actually. He, he's, he's commanding the disciples then and I think it's a good word for us as disciples today. He's telling, the, the Father's saying the most important thing you can do, the most important thing you can do in every moment, in every situation is listen to my son. Listen to him. I mean, Jesus isn't just the continuation and the completion, you know, of the law and the prophets represented by Moses and Elijah. He, he's bigger than them. He, he is over them. Jesus is like the interpretive key. He's the very living word of God. Jesus is the key to understanding all that God has said and done. Jesus is the very revelation of God himself. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this. It says, long ago, God spoke many times. Can we bring the Hebrews up? There you go. Long ago, God spoke many times. Now it's gone from mine. <laughs> I'll read it from up here. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But now in these, the final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God has promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. Next slide. The Son, listen to this. The Son radiates God's own glory. And he expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by his mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This person, Jesus, the son, he's worth listening to. I think that's what God's trying to remind James and Peter and John and us of. He's worth listening to. He knows what he's talking about when he speaks. You know, remember that there's that, Paul describes him in Colossians 1, that, that whole supremacy of the son. He says that, that Jesus, the son, holds all of creation together. That, that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. So the simple message then and today is this. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. Are you? Do you? Is your life revolve around listening to Jesus? Because God the Father says that's the most important thing we could do is listen to his son. You know, obviously one of the primary ways the son speaks to us is through this, through the, the scriptures. The Bible is one of the primary ways that God speaks to us. It's his inspired, recorded revelation to us, for us. Jesus is the interpretive key as we read it. If you aren't regularly reading the word of God, you won't hear his voice. It's as simple as that. If you're not regularly engaging, diving into, soaking in, reading the word of God, you won't hear his voice. Every time you and I open and read this book, God has something to say to us. He has something to say to us every time we engage it. So, so you've been reading through the book of Mark, right? We've been reading through the book of Mark together. Jesus has things to say. 
God says, listen to him. Have you been listening? Just reflect on that for a second. Have you, as you read Mark, as I read Mark, are you just reading it or are you listening? Are you listening for God to speak to you through the power of the Holy Spirit? He's been speaking to me. I trust he's been speaking to you. I trust we're all listening to him. I mean, like even this week, right? Like in, after you read about this, this moment up on a mountain in which God says, listen to my son, you keep reading and you, you, you read about the son saying things. And, and I'm reading in Mark 9 and there's this, there's this really hard teaching that you encounter in Mark 9, 42 through 50. Did you read that part this week? Do you remember that? Like when um, Jesus warns the disciples against causing any of the children to stumble? And then he goes into these words. These, these are words maybe you've, you've heard before. He says, like, don't, don't cause any of these young ones to stumble. It'll be bad for you. And then he goes on, like, you know what? If there's anything causing you to stumble, get rid of it. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Your hand, your foot, your eye. If any of those things are causing you to stumble, cut them off. Get rid of them. Jesus is speaking. Man, what, what's he saying? What's he saying to me? You know, I'm, I'm you now gratefully, virtually like any Bible scholar who, who takes that passage, you know, says that he's not being literal, which I'm really grateful for. I wouldn't be able to walk, wouldn't be able to hold anything, wouldn't be able to see any. None of us would have gotten here this morning because how would we get here? Can't, you know, like, but, but he's making a point, right? Jesus is, is making a point. He's trying to stress just how serious this following him thing is. I mean, yeah, I, I think Jesus is very conscious of where this is all heading for him. Where, where, what's gonna happen in Jerusalem? I think he wants his disciples to understand then and now that, that there's a battle on, there's a war on, the kingdom of God is advancing and there's an enemy opposing it. And Jesus is communicating that following him is not something that you can just, cruise control on you can't just cruise in you can't just idly reflect you can't just casually check oh I went to church on Sunday so I'm, I'm good for the week like this is serious business this is this is serious stuff that that he's invited to do discipleship is a difficult thing it's an awesome thing but it's a, it demands sacrifice it demands sacrifice and it, as God was speaking to me this week he just reminded me of that that Jesus wants to be first in my life he wants to be first before everything else. His holiness is my standard. So if there's anything, anything, I think this is what he's saying, at least to me in that passage, if there's anything in my life, sin, obviously, and for sure, but even good things, that's taken my focus off Jesus as my Lord, is hindering me from hearing his voice, that needs to go. That needs to be cut off. That needs to be cut off of my life. Declaring Jesus as my Lord and Savior means that he desires me to be so committed that nothing else, none of of my possessions, none of my bodily possessions, my hands, my eyes, my feet, that nothing else is more important than Jesus. Nothing. I mean, that really convicted me this week. Like, Like, my marriage is not more important than Jesus. My children are not more important than Jesus. You know, like this ministry is not more important than Jesus. My job, you know, your job, like nothing's more important than Jesus. I don't think he's saying give up all those things, but make sure we, we have it in the right order. It really, God is really speaking to me this week, identifying areas in my life that I've, 
I've allowed to be more, to get more of my attention, to get more of my energy, to get more of my worship, to get more of my, my awe. And I had to repent of that. I still have to. And not just identify it, but try to turn from it and, and, and re, make sure I go get things in the right order. Jesus was speaking to me through the scriptures. When I read that passage, Jesus was speaking to me and I'm trying really hard to listen because that's what the Father said is the most important thing I can do is listen to him and respond to him. So the, the scriptures is a primary way God speaks to us, Jesus speaks to us. It's not the only way. He's not limited to just the written word. God, you know, Jesus helps me understand the word as I read it, but he also speaks directly to me through the Holy Spirit as well because this same Jesus now indwells us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why like in, in John 10, can you go to John 10, 27? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That, that implies that Jesus, he speaks directly to his sheep and we're a sheep, he's our shepherd. We can listen to his voice. There's just something about this moment up on this mountain of transfiguration that just grabbed me this week. And I think God is using that moment to remind us right now in this moment, just like he reminded the leaders of the apostles then, he's reminding us as disciples today that the most important thing to being a disciple is listening to Jesus and then doing what he says. It's as simple and as hard as that. Just listen to Jesus and do what he says. Just want to do a little bit of reflection this morning. I'm going to invite the band up because I like it when they play like little music underneath and, and reflection. So band, if you guys want to come up here. But here, let me ask you this question. Whose voice are you listening to in your life? I got to come back to Jesus all the time. Like every moment it seems like because it's so easy for me to allow other voices to, to speak to me and, and like to influence me and to affect me. You know, like what you all think. That's a voice that I have to battle. You know, like, I I can't let that be more important than Jesus. I can't let that be more important than what Jesus is saying to me. What what my family thinks or, or, you know, like, whose voice are you listening to? Can you hear the Father inviting you this morning? This is my son, Jesus. I love him. Listen to him. Can you hear and feel and sense God the Father inviting you this morning to anew listen to his son, to listen to Jesus. Maybe you're not in the word. What would it look like maybe moving forward to just carve out like a few minutes every morning and just read? And then stop when you feel like God's speaking to you and stay there and receive it. What would it look like to maybe just insert some solitude into your days where you can just be quiet and like, Lord, I'm listening. What do you have for me right now in this moment? I'm listening. And I thought like, what if we just did that this morning before we leave here? We take advantage of a moment right in front of us to listen to Jesus. So I'm just gonna invite you. You can go to that next slide. Um, What's God saying to you like right now? What's he saying to you right now? Like what if you just quiet yourself? 
Just quiet yourself. Close your eyes if that helps. And just in your heart right now, just declare to God like, I'm listening. Is there anything you want to say to me? And then just let whatever the Spirit brings into your heart, into your mind, let it come. Even if it seems weird. Even if it seems out of place. A picture, a word, a person, a scripture. Lord, speak to us. We're listening. What do you want to say to each one of us this morning? I don't know if anything happened for you as, as you were just being quiet. Maybe for you it's like nothing. It's okay. That is okay. You were obedient in putting yourself in a posture to listen to the son. If you keep doing that, I promise you, you will begin to hear his voice more and more regularly. But, but maybe, maybe you did, maybe God gave you something this morning. Maybe. Maybe he brought something to your attention that has been causing you to stumble. You know, like Jesus talked about. And he's bringing it to your awareness and he's inviting you to to cut it off. He's inviting you to deal with it. Pay attention to that. Maybe God's, you know, speaking a word to you of grace and of mercy and of identity. Receive that. He does stuff like that. That sounds like something Jesus would say. You know, receive that this morning. Maybe he's putting somebody on your heart, on your mind. And you don't know where that came from. Like, why did that person just come into my mind? Maybe that's Jesus speaking to you through the Holy Spirit saying, I I have a connection I want you to make. I don't know. But but I I do want to invite you, like, if, if anything bubbled up as you listened to Jesus this morning that you would welcome some prayer for. You know, maybe it is something you need to like cut off from your life because it's competing with Jesus's lordship in your life. Maybe it's something you need to deal with or maybe it is um, somebody you need to connect with. If there's anything going on this morning that Jesus is bringing to your awareness that you would like some prayer for, as we sing this last song, there's a few people who said they'd love to pray with you. They're just going to kind of slowly make their way over to that corner over there. And uh, during that song, 
you know, as we're singing, if, if you want to like just kind of sneak over there and invite people to pray with you, they would love to. Or just kind of wander over there during the last song and they'll pray with you. But, but pay attention to what God gave you right now in this moment. Listen to him. That's what God says. Listen to him. Listen to him and do what he says. That's what it means to be a disciple, you guys. That's all it means to be a disciple. Listen to the Father, do what he says. So let's stand, let's sing, and let's worship. So we're going to be singing another new song this morning.